And now, here they are, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Justin Shears, and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser-known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. Now we're going to do something we've never, ever done before on the all-live Top of the Pops. We're going to play part of a record. Penny Lane, there is a barber showing photographs Of every head he's had the pleasure to know And all the people that come and go Stop and say hello And right now we're going to say hello to John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Now, now that number, Penny Lane, failed to make number one in Britain, fellas. Did you feel it's all put out by that? No, it's the, I don't know, the main thing is it, it's fine if you're kept sort of from being number one by uh, sort of a record like Release Me. Because uh, you're not trying to do the same kind of thing as Release Me is trying to do, you know. So that's a completely different scene altogether, that kind of thing. Uh, but you have. So it doesn't really matter no, anyway. Yeah. But you have in the past said, or at least been reported as having said, that in the event of a record not going to number one, you'd seriously think about packing it all in. Do you feel like that? Well, John packed it in, actually, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, we're trying to persuade him to stay with the group at the moment. That's I don't want to start any rumours no, no, over in no, the States no, or anything, no, but... No, uh, pity. The thing is, I mean, you've obviously reached a stage where you don't have to write any more songs for any reason at all other than you like doing it so but it's always been like that that's the good thing yeah that's the you know because it has been a hobby mm-hmm. and it still is you know yeah. mind you it gets around about the time when you're doing an lp and you've got to start working it gets like a job mm-hmm. but you know uh, you do it if, with in your time off anyway so it is a hobby right you know, so it's it's uh, it'll go on forever probably good <clears throat> It may have come as somewhat of a surprise to the Beatles that their double A-sided single of hometown-inspired songs, now regarded by many as their best ever single, failed to reach the now customary number one slot in the British charts. While all Beatles singles, beginning with Please Please Me way back in 1963, had become instant chart toppers, it was a fairly schmaltzy number from an American crooner called Engelbert Humperdinck which held the Fab Four at bay in their own country. With no album release since Revolver in August 1966, controversies in the Philippines and America, a perception about dwindling concert audiences in their last world tour, and a relatively quiet existence in the media compared to the heady days of peak Beatlemania, chatter began to creep in that the Beatles were on their way out that they had finally burnt out and would be soon replaced as the kings of pop. The Beatles, however, weren't particularly worried. It was a relief. Uh, You know, everything we did just went straight to number one. And of course, then you have that pressure. And I I believe we had like seven on the row. I'm I'm not really sure, something six or seven. Was out, was in, was out, was one. So actually, uh, within the group, it, it took the pressure off. Can you, without giving away any trade secrets, tell us anything about the numbers that you're engaged on at the moment for this this uh, new album that you're working on? Oh, we've done about nine or ten, mm-hmm. and um, I think we've done about nine or ten. And there's a couple of strange ones, a couple of happy-go-lucky northern songs, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of a couple of whimsical, 
you know, folk, Medieval guitar. folk rock. Mm. Have, you the, have you this time um, augmented again? Used, used any yeah. strange lineups at all? Yeah, we've well, we've used sort of things that uh, aren't us, you know, mm -hmm. quite a bit. Cause, we used uh, the monkeys on a few of the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But they wouldn't go along with the TV series uh, that we had planned for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has George written anything this time? Oh, yeah, he's yeah. done a great one. Yeah. <laughs> great one. A great Indian one. We came along one night, had about 400 Indian fellas playing here, and it was a great <laughs> swinging evening, as they say. <laughs> yeah, so there's a few things going on. Yeah. <laughs> is, there going to, is there going to be another Beatles film? Yes. Oh, yeah. As soon as we finish this LP, we'll be starting on this... Yeah. Mm. mythical film that we've been on about for the last We year. want to do a TV show and a film, you know, so the next... And is touring now completely out everywhere? I reckon so, yeah. Well, the Says thing John. is, we're, we're working on an act where we run on in brightly coloured suits and yeah. switch on five tapes. Ah, yeah, ah. yeah. That's and then the we do a juggling act at the front of the stage while these tapes play Beatle melodies. Yeah. Why is it? I don't know why this microphone sends so you balmy, because when I was talking to John earlier, he was quite serious and said, no, no more tours. No, well, that's the only possibility. You I mean, know, you know. no more tours, no more She Loves Yous, you know. Mm. But, I mean, going on with a, a million tape recorders and a brightly coloured suit, well, that's, not, that's something else, you know. But there's no, no more big tours of America or well, around the world? Or? No. I don't think so. Not in the same kind of pattern no. as we've been doing so far, anyway. But you, uh, yeah. you never know. You, know. you never know. Exactly. I see. Right. And on one final bit, then, there have been reports in the last week or two about you writing this musical we've been hearing about for years. True or false? Uh, false, I think. False, yeah. I think. No. False? Yeah. false? False. 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 Am I, you're not going to do it? <laughs> I don't think so. Unless no. it was a musical with a thousand tape recorders and brightly coloured costumes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah, like yeah, that, that We're no thing. nearer, then, this... this uh, projected music. No, we're not going to write oh, the, all, all of those kind of things, though, you know, we might do in the next few years, you know, but this is the idea, to yeah. give us a chance to do, try other things, you know, but we don't know what they're going to be yet. Yeah. But you are going to go on writing. Oh, there's going to be a yeah. lot more other things, you know, but we want to make them sort of different, you know. Yeah. You know, Brian. Well, thanks for giving us the facts. <laughs> as unpredictable as ever, the Beatles. With the best part of half an album already in the can, new songs kept coming to the studio and others were brought off the shelf to be completed. On the 21st of February 1967, a remake of Fixing a Hole was attempted in Studio 2, but only got as far as one take. It wasn't considered as good as the existing version, recorded and essentially completed in a single session at Regent Sound Studios on the 9th, and was therefore abandoned. Reverting to the Regent tape, the Beatles had a single track remaining on the four-track tape, and they used it wisely, simultaneously doubling the bass, drums and harpsichord, this time played by George Martin. And with that, the song was complete. I'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in And stops my mind from wandering where it will go I'm feeling the cracks that ran through the door And kept my mind from wondering where it will go
matter if I'm wrong and right where I belong and right where I belong silly people run around they worry me and never ask me why I don't get past my door I'm taking the time for a number of things that weren't important yesterday and I still go An isolation mix of Fixing a Hole, highlighting George's guitar solo and some great vocal harmonies. The 22nd of February saw the completion of recordings for A Day in the Life with the addition of the dramatic final piano chord. All that was left now was the mixing. With one of John's career masterpieces out of the way, it was time for another of Paul's narrative ditties, again reflecting a touch of Northern English humour.
a reconstruction of Take 9 of the backing track for Lovely Rita, recorded on the 23rd of February 1967, with Ringo on drums, John and George on acoustic guitars, and Paul on piano. The song was sparked when an American friend of Paul's who was visiting London saw a female traffic warden and referred to her as a meter maid. Caught by the alliteration of the phrase, Paul wrote the song on the piano at his father's home. With the four-track tape now full, a reduction mix was made to a fresh tape, once again allowing Paul to add his bass guitar to a separate track, in a session that lasted until nearly four in the morning. The 24th of February saw Paul add his lead vocal, once again filling the four tracks of the second tape. And in the new reduction mix to a third tape, called Take 11 by this stage, a little bit of vary speed was applied to lift the pitch and tempo of the track slightly. My guitar still seems to go in and out like it's like the lead's wrong. The free girl one, then one of them where you don't know what you're doing. Just a fucking piece. Keep that one. All right, let's go. One, two, three, four. 
Like many other tracks in these sessions, Lovely Reader was put on hold for nearly two weeks, making way for another of John's songs. Whereas A Day in the Life had been inspired by newspaper articles, Good Morning, Good Morning by a Cornflakes commercial, and Being for the Benefit of Mr Kite lifted almost verbatim from a 19th century circus poster, John's next offering would have its genesis in something much closer to home. Paul and Ringo recall how the song came about. I showed up at John's house one day and he said to me, look at this great drawing Julian's just done. And he showed me, I remember it very well. It was a kid's drawing and kids always have people floating around like Chagall does in all these things. They're always just floating. I think it's just something to do with the kids. Don't realize people have to be put on the ground. I've, I've seen the painting that this little kid does. I don't know if you've got kids, you know, but they just slap paint everywhere and say it's a painting. And of course, we put them in frames and put them on the wall. And uh, <laughs> and it was just this crazy little kid's painting. And what is that? John had said, what's it called then? And Julian had said, Lucy in the sky with diamonds. You know, as you do with kids. And John went, ding. 
Let me confirm quickly a couple rumors with you. Yes. One of them, has it ever been settled whether Lucy in the sky with diamonds was a code for anything? It never was, and nobody believes me. I even saw uh, some famous star introducing, I've forgotten who it was, introducing a Lennon McCartney show, and uh, it was Mel Torme mm. saying about how Lucy in the sky with diamonds is about LSD. This is the truth. My son came home with a drawing and said, showed me this strange-looking woman flying around. I said, what is it? He said, it's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And I thought, that's beautiful. I immediately wrote a song about it. Uh -huh. The song had gone out, the whole album had been published, and somebody noticed that, that the letters spelt out LSD. And I had no idea about it. And of course, after that, I was checking all the songs to see what the, the letters spelt out. Yeah. They didn't spell out anything, none of the others. And, uh, it wasn't about that at all. You know? Although she didn't know it at the time, Julian Lennon's schoolmate, Lucy O'Donnell, would be the central character in one of the greatest psychedelic anthems of the 1960s. With words that could have easily come from a certain Lewis Carroll book, or the scripts of The Goon Show for that matter, plus a little help from the drugs that John was taking at the time, the lyrics were colourfully washed with hallucinogenic imagery which required a suitably psychedelic backing track to make them come alive for the listener. George Martin explains. They were able to conjure up a wonderfully evocative image with very sparse material. And the opening to Lucy is a, is a really case in point. And it's, it's a most wonderful phrase. I think, you know, if Beethoven had been around, he wouldn't have minded one of those. And over that very, very simple and beautiful phrase, John sang just one note. He developed it. I mean, he had a way of finding out what he wanted to sing, even as we were recording. But to begin with, all he sang was, picture yourself on a boat on a river. <laughs> I might as well have that record in there as well. It doesn't go on the tape, George. Doesn't it? It's only on our cans, that one. Well, oh, well. It will sound nice. It's okay. direct injection. the flowers that 
Take one of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. The song had a relatively quick turnaround compared to the others recorded so far. After a night of recording rehearsals on the 28th of February, the Beatles returned to Studio 2 on the 1st of March to record seven takes of the backing track, all at slightly slower tape speed to sound quicker and more surreal on playback. With Ringo on drums, George on acoustic guitar, George Martin on grand piano, and Paul playing the Lowry organ, including the distinctive intro melody made up of presets of harpsichord, guitar, vibraharp, and music box, John's only contribution at this stage was his guide vocal and shaking maracas in the choruses. By take five, Paul was offering some advice on how to phrase one of the trickier lines. John Singer, uh, <coughs> sing those quicker, seven flowers of yellow and green, yellow and green. Okay. Anyway. Right. Yeah. <coughs> Picture yourself in a boat. Oh, just come right <laughs> in with a one. Hey, one. In the hoop. Right. Two. Oh, 
Take five of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Take seven was marked as best and treated to a backwards overdub of tambora, a four or five stringed Indian instrument played by George Harrison, thus wiping John's guide vocal and maracas from the tape. the tape was given a reduction mix to a fresh tape and called Take 8, onto which John sang a new lead vocal and backing vocals the following day. Paul's bass was also added, beautifully complemented by George's fuzz-boxed and Leslie-speakered electric guitar parts. And, after only two sessions, the song was complete. Effects were heavily applied during the mixing of the track, especially on vocals and the acoustic guitar parts. Studio engineers Jeff Emmerich and Richard Lush explain. Because Richard was, was the master of the uh, you know, automatic double tracking. But it, start, it started off, first of all, that John was getting lazy and he wanted, um, although both he and Paul were incredible uh, at double tracking their voices, they could do just one pass against the first pass to get this, that texture and it, it was spot on with the first pass, you know. And then John was getting lazy, from what I remember. He said, oh, I'm fed up. Why have I got to sing it again? Why haven't you got a machine that can do it? Because he just said things. He didn't understand anything, really, you know, what we were doing. So then it was, 
it was Ken Townsend at, at EMI came up with the idea that what we would do, uh, we could only do it when we were mixing or doing a four-track to four-track. So there was a thing on the multi-track machine or the four-track machine called a, uh, a sync head, which gave you the signal before the replay head. So that signal from the sync head went into a tape machine, which was on very speed that Richard controlled. So it was a copy of the vocal, but it was being copied before you heard it on the replay, normal replay. So you could either advance it or retard it. So anyway, he used to set it and sometimes, you know, bring the image, the second image, you know, away from exactly the, the original image. And so we got the double track voice. Sometimes you just move it slightly, Richard, as, as the voice is going through. What flanging was, was when Richard sort of just went wow like that with it, especially with guitars, to bend the, the copy guitar note. You know, no one really knew what Richard was doing, you know, and sometimes, because Richard and I used to love that, you know, and, but Richard, you know, used to go berserk, and we used to love it, and John would look around and smile, because he'd love it, and or whatever, and George Martin say, don't like that too much, you know, still officious, you know, but, but Richard was the ace at that. It's great. How long did you take over technical details like phasing? Phasing is great. Double, yeah. Double flanging, we call it. Now, there yeah. you go. Right, we're on the same thing. Flanging is great, right. Yeah, you used to do Lucy in the Sky. You name the one that isn't on, you know. Yeah. You name it. <laughs> you spot it, you get a prize, and you get a Sergeant Pepper badge. Flanging was, well, that was John's word. He made up that word. Flanging started off as double tracking. ADT, automatic double tracking, and it basically meant that instead of John singing something exactly the same, you could actually do it via a tape machine with a bit of wizardry. And depending what speed you ran that tape machine at, um, you could phase it or flange it. So depending what the signal was, if it was an acoustic guitar, for instance, that was being played quite slowly, you could flange that. And John loved that. John loved that sound. And he always used to say, oh, can you flange it, Richard? Can you flange it more? And uh, so that was my job in life. making anything but normal you know normal is not good normal is not allowed on a Beatle record I mean that was a prime example of um, flanging whatever one would call it double tracking and I can still hear George Martin shouting out the note because I used to send it from the four tracks on my tape machine I would send each track depending what was on it to the machine to be flanged. So George would shout out, two down, Richard, three up, four down, two up. So he would be, and, and this would go on for like three or four hours. So you just get brainwashed to be what, you know, which part of the song you would do. And then when we came to mix it in stereo, um, we'd sort of forgotten what we, what we, what we were going to do. So it kind of, when I hear the stereo, I think, oh, we haven't got the flanging on that verse. Oh, we didn't. And because it was sort of done in a bit of a rush, you know, at the end of the album, it kind of, the stereo is the one you hear on the radio, but the mono, the mono is the Bible. Now I'd like to play you on 
That's a sad little song. Where's it gone? Oh, well, this is it, yeah. Picture yourself on an old-fashioned elephant. Lucy in the sky for everyone. Now. Arm it up. Self in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope That's it for this episode. Next time, we'll hear more from the floor of Abbey Road Studio 2 as the Beatles break even more new ground in crafting their latest album and begin to hatch a plan to join the songs together conceptually. 
Until next time, 